Hey everyone, before we get to the episode, I just want to let you guys know that I'm at San Diego Comic Con this week. Uh, we are in Small Press. You can see the Accidental Aliens at Small Press K07 from Wednesday, July 20th, all the way through Sunday, July 24th. So if you want to pick up the books that I do, Wanders of Milisanda or Second Shift, go to Accidental Aliens in the Small Press section, K07. All right, on to the episode. Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, a managing partner at Invader Comics and the writer of both Kadoja and Three Protectors. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisanda for The Accidental Aliens. That is exactly who you are, dude. But it is. Every who week, you are, it's me. It's, it's still you. You're here. Um, so, what are you drinking, brother? Um, okay, so I am having a lounging... Iguana's Hazy IPA. It's a Pina Colada India Pale Ale. So with pineapple well, that is, that and That is coconut. a lot of shit. That is a lot of shit going on. It is. And it's by Abita. And I think Abita, they did the peanut butter and jelly stout, right? Yeah. And they also do Purple Haze. Uh, that is theirs. Oh, so. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, let's see how it is. It smells delicious. It sounds like a great beer for getting caught in the grain. It sounds like a great beer for people that aren't that much into health food, but that are into champagne. <laughs> it's it's pretty solid. It's uh, decent. It's not overly hoppy. It's kind of got okay. like this smooth um, finish, and that I think that might just be the combination of pineapple and coconut. So, but yeah. not overly hoppy. I enjoy it. How, nice. how about you? Nice. What are you drinking? What am I drinking? I am. I'm. Gonna, I'm just keeping it light. I'm going with the Kona Longboard. I still have a lot of Kona beers. Um, I think we talked about it maybe last week, and I had a Kona longboard. And you talked about how they have those great multi-packs. Yep, that's what it is. This is the, this is a multi-pack that I had gotten a while ago at Costco. So uh, it was just a whole uh, four different beers, and this is one of them. So, yeah, we're just going to keep it nice and clean this evening. How's it up there? It's It's pretty hot down here. It is pretty hot. It, it's not as hot as it could be. I mean, the high is about 93. And uh, because, you know, California is basically a desert, the low is like 62, which isn't that bad. But uh, yeah, peak heat is up in the 90s, low 90s here, okay. which is pretty average for summer. How about you? Yeah, it's pretty warm over here. Um, this That's another reason why the beer is just hitting the spot. It's only 73 right now um, with the high of 81. So uh, yeah. But it feels it felt pretty warm when I was outside. I don't know. Some days it just hits a little bit harder. I don't know why. Well, I, I also think you're a lot closer to the water than I am. So yes. even whether whether we're at your house hanging out or whether we're at society, which I think is even closer to the water, you get up around that eighty degree mark and it feels pretty gross because of because you it's also it's not just humid around there. It also you get a lot of like no wind. And uh, so where I am, it's dry as hell, it's hot as hell, but it can also be windy. So mm. those things all work together, and, you know, 97 ain't so bad up here, really. Um, once it hits 100, yeah, it feels pretty goddamn hot, you know, <laughs> but 
yeah. Anyway, uh, I mean, I've I've long I, I have my big thing this year is what I've noticed finally is the heat on my body does not bother me. Getting in my car is what bothers me on the really hot days. Oh yeah, you know, not 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 walking around outside. I can I can handle that kind of heat, but I can't handle my car. You know, microwaving up to one thirty five with a scalding hot steering wheel over the course of the day. That's the part that sucks. Right. Yeah. When we were in Phoenix, I honestly didn't feel that bad. Like it, yeah. it, it didn't feel terrible. I mean, granted, we were in a building the majority of the day, but when we were mm-hmm. going in and when we were going out. Honestly, it felt like it was what in the seventies, eighties, or something like yeah. that. It was very manageable. Yeah, it wasn't bad. yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I, th- I thought Phoenix was was all right. So, hey, with that, let's get to this week, man. What was the first thing you did this week? Well, um, so trying to finish up Wanderers, I sent. I think last time we checked in, I had sent my script over to Ed, and uh, he had already worked on his. And so he was going to go through the combination phase. So he's melding of the two scripts, like making a new thing. And um, I actually did read his right after I sent mine. And he was reading mine at the same time. So we kind of texted each other, hey, I think this is going to work really well. And I was like, I'm reading yours right now, and I agree. So there was a lot of stuff that was, um, we were hitting on the same themes and uh, just different dialogue and just kind of slightly different perspectives on what we were thinking the characters were saying. And uh, But overall, it came through pretty well. And... Uh, he sent me it over, and I was uh, the combined script. He finished it and sent it over, and it was really good. Um, there was some minor tweaks on the one of the ca- main characters, Lee, but besides that, it was pretty solid. It had a great flow to it, and uh, yeah, it's it's moving. That's cool, man. So that was again that was your combined Marvel method, right? Like you both took a look at the pages, the art, and then the script followed. Correct? Yeah. Yep. That's how we did it. Um, so with this one. You know, with a couple of other projects, I had mentioned that I just did the story myself and then Ed would write something, then I would write something. Well, this is the opposite of that. Ed kind of wrote, hey, uh, this is what's going on on the pages. So he had the story direction. And then so I was like, okay, just based off of his direction, not there was no dialogue. I just kind of went from there. So I got to make it up a little bit as well. So it's just like, okay, he has the characters doing this, but I can have them do this you know so there was Mm -hmm. some wiggle room there and so when we were combining the scripts that add for you know a little bit more play i think i think maybe he had something in mind and then i had drawn something different so that kind of changes up what the characters were saying maybe in his mind before we started going so yeah man so the first thing i did this week on on that note on the note of getting in the nitty-gritty of edits and sending it out to a bunch of people and doing those kind of things Refreshing the novel a little bit. I had done some edits to put it together so that I could send it off to Mike, which I did about a week or two ago, and I don't think I mentioned that last week. In the and, and that was kind of phase one. I wanted to get the whole novel off to Mike as soon as possible. In the meantime, I the next thing that I wanted to do was edit a chunk of pages to send off to my novel mentor, because I... You know, we're doubling up my final stuff that I had paid for through him. Yeah, it's like 40 pages, right? Yeah, one chunk of 40 pages. So that's what I worked on the majority of the last week. It was polishing up those 40 pages and really just nitty-grittying them, you know. And uh, it it drove me a bit insane. I mean, it is, you know, it it was weird, man, because like some days... Art is is just like this, I think, on some level with writing. There are some days where I would edit and I would be like, yeah, man, oh, here's a good sentence. I can reword this. I can reword that. 
And and then at the end of the day, I feel like this is better. I feel like I made it better. I feel like I was making good changes. I was in a flow. I was dialed in with things like language and how to make a sentence sound better and all that. And then there are other days where I just feel like I spent the whole time and I'm like, the fuck did I really do, man? <laughs> you know, did did I like I didn't feel in the zone. I didn't feel the sentences were flowing. And I feel like at the end of the day, I'm not sure whether I actually did anything meaningful or just rearranged some deck chairs, you know, um, and we'll find out. I mean, I feel good about the end result of that submission. And now we just wait, you know, I mean, as mentioned previously, a fair amount is writing on this because I'm using this as a representation for the rest of the novel. But also because of that, I didn't want to go over polish it either. You know, like I want it to be a representation of the rest of the novel as opposed to making this this particular 40 pages really spit shined. But then knowing in the back of my head that there's still 200 more pages in the novel that don't hold up to it, you know, so I feel very good about these pages. We will see what happens when they come back. But it's time, you know, I sent it off and uh, and we'll see what happens once I get the feedback on this. And the nice thing about about this part is I have a trip coming up, a vacation that I'm planning for. And because of that, you end up doing a lot of work ahead. So I, it, I'm still a ways away from going. But I'm doing the working ahead right now. And there's really only one final bit to do of the novel. You know, I had my three goals that I wanted to do before this trip. Goal one was get a pass of the book ready to go to Mike after doing some basic cleaning. I did that. That's one. Send off the chunk of pages to my mentor. That's number two. And then number three is incorporate some notes I got from workshop last week on what is the end of the novel. The final two essentially chapters of the novel. And so I got that feedback, but I had been holding it off because these other things were a higher priority. And now I have some time before I go on the trip that I can just put the work into the end. And then once the work is into the end, my goal is to go on the trip and just use that as a mini break and take that time and not think about the damn novel. Because that's all I'll need. By the time I come back, I'll either get the notes while I'm on vacation or a little before And then I can choose whether I want to read them or whether I just want to enjoy my vacation, but they'll be there waiting for me. Knowing how I am, there's no way I'm going to let those things sit. I'll probably just take a look, but that's okay. I'll take a look while I'm on vacation and then that'll arm my brain for what I want to do when I come back. But I'm setting it up very nicely to where the vacation can serve as a little bit of a mini break. And, um, and then I can use that as a way to just journal, which I tend to like to do when I go to cool places for a vacation. I'm going to journal because where we're going um, could end up as a place for a future novel of mine. So I love taking very detailed notes on things like that. So, hey, man, that's it. So, yeah, a lot of work in the novel and uh, the novel is better for it, despite my Victor Vaughn that, that popped up there for a little bit. And uh, now we just move on to the next thing. So when you say... You have those days where it just feels like you're moving deck chairs around. Would you say that's equivalent to uh, a writer's block or is that something else? I don't think it's writer's block. I mean, that's a really good question. Let me let me try to give like an illustrated fake example of it. Oh, let, let's pick something on the more mundane side because the mundane sentences are the ones that tend to drive me up a wall. Let's say um, the lead character's name is Scott. And Scott is walking down the street in a rainstorm and notices a, a paint smudge on a fire hydrant. Okay? And we're just we're just going with the flow here, okay? 
So, like, the basic version of that sentence is Scott, Scott walked down the rainy street. And when he turned to the fire hydrant, he noticed that the paint was smeared around the nozzle. Okay? These are the kind of sentences that drive me up a wall. Because I just don't know how much work they need. You know, somebody like Toni Morrison would make that sentence, you know, he she turned those fucking Tonka toys into a soup for people. Or whatever the old Eddie Murphy thing is, right? Like, you know... But it's just Scott walking down the street in the rain, noticing something about a fire hydrant. You know, the sentence did its work. The work in the course of this fake novel is that you are walking down the street or Scott, the fictitious character, is walking down the street. It is raining. That's thing number two. And number three is there is something off about that fire hydrant. So without me trying to workshop it into something floral and beautiful on the fly, on the days where I feel dialed in, Sometimes I find a better way to say that, or I either find a better way to say it, or I realize that's the best way for me to say it. There are the other days where I might try to rearrange that sentence, and at the end of the day, it might be like, you know, it was raining. Scott, his feet splashing in the puddles as he walked down the rainy avenue, turned his eye to the fire hydrant and noticed that the paint was smeared. And it's like, I mean, I guess that's a little better. Again, don't mind these as real examples. I am making this up as I go, and that is not writing. Okay, like <laughs> writing is writing is finely chiseling that shit like Michelangelo. But you can at least see from that example that one of them is a little more floral. But but is it better? Who the fuck knows? Right. You know, like yeah, it's all per- I was a little more descriptive. Preference. I would. I actually yeah. preferred the first sentence. So yeah, it's just on. And like you said, these, this is just on the fly. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think both of those sentences do the job, but then one feels like more of a methodical sentence, whereas right. the other one felt a little more energized and movement to it. So I would say right. it's all dependent on the type of uh, scene that the character is in, you know, what you're writing. Totally, totally. And, and, and the reason I'm using a sentence like that is because something, you know, in this fake book... That's that's not a sentence that needs to carry a lot of weight, okay? Let's say the next thing that happens in this book is the fire hydrant turns into Optimus Prime or or Dark Dimension Optimus Prime just to make things more interesting and then attacks Scott. That's <laughs> that's dead, the man. business. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're you're pretty fucked. Yeah. Um th- that's that's the work of this scene. That's the kind of sentence that you want to take some time on because it's the money thing that is happening. But the sentence that leads to that, where you're walking down the street and notice something about the fire hydrant, it, it does work, but it doesn't do the heavy lifting work. And therefore, those are the kind of sentences that when I'm having my days where I'm like, what the f- did I really do anything? You know, those are the kind of sentences I question. I don't question the sentences that are the payoff sentences. Right. It's these other ones. That just seems like, honestly, it just sound, seems like a foreshow- uh, foreshadowing sentence, like... You know, yeah. I notice something on the fire hydrant and then like in a scene or two, then it'll explain why that was totally. going on. Yeah, totally. Totally. So, again, it's, it's those sentences that drive me crazy on the days where I, I question myself or the days where I'm just like or it could just be that the the chunk of pages that I was reviewing that day as part of my schedule Maybe not a lot goes on, you know, like maybe enough goes on to drive certain elements of the story, but there's no big payoff stuff. And therefore, I feel worse editing it than on a a scene where I may wake up the next day and it's all action or it's all cool horror shit or it's all cool character stuff, you know. And um, anyway, so 
again, bad example, but I think it illustrates the point. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, what was your second thing, man? Um, so the lettering. So on that combined script, we actually got it taken care of. Um, you know, like I said, I did one, Ed did one, and then he did the combined one, sent it back, some minor tweaking. And then um, I got it off to the editing stage. So I have my normal editor on my books, David Louch. So I sent it to him. Um, Ed always takes a gander at it. And this time around, I actually had my girlfriend do it. She has a very keen, like, editor's eye. I think it has to do with her job. She is a paralegal. So she's used to scanning documents for wording and stuff like that, things things that would stand out. And she <laughs> she has a tendency to do it if I, like, for instance, she was reading the second shift trade paperback. And then so she would just ask me questions. And um, I was like, oh, that's interesting, like, that you're pointing that out. You know, there's a certain things that she would pick up on. And, you know, it'd be like a string for later or it was just like the way something was written because she doesn't read comics. And so that's kind of like a new new endeavor for her to, like, read a trade paperback, you know, graphic novel. And so she was just picking up on different things. And it's just it's so interesting, like watching a I don't know if she's a first time comics reader, but, you know, it's it's been quite a while, if, if anything at all. And um, so I was like, you know what? She's she's pretty good at this. And like, I'll show her just my interior pages and she'll just, she'll be she'll inquire about a lot of things, just like continuity stuff like, oh, hey, um, this was in uh, second shift, I think 10. There was a like a, a lamp on the wall in one scene, in one panel. And I didn't have the lamp on the wall in this other panel because I didn't want to draw it. I was being lazy. <laughs> and she pointed it out. She's like, hey, where'd that lamp go? And I was like, damn it, you noticed it? And she goes, yeah. yeah. So it made me, you know, draw the panel. It, it made it, you know, made me better for it. Obviously, you want to keep things consistent. So, um, you know, she points things out like that. And so when I was waiting on the script from David, like what, you know, his, his editing... I said, hey, do you want to read through this and just see if you see anything? She's like, yeah. So she went through and she found a bunch of stuff, just like minor stuff. And um, she was like, hey, I noticed this, 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 and this. And she goes, it, what was interesting was on one of the fonts, it's all capitalization. It's all capitalized. And I didn't capitalize the beginning of one sentence. And I was like, it's all capitalized. You can't tell anyway. She could. She noticed, she's like, it's slightly bigger at the beginning of a sentence. So I noticed this one isn't. So it was stuff like that. She was catching like wow. very minor stuff. And it was great because then I updated it. I sent it in the file. And then by the time Dave got to it, she got all the corrections. So he goes, mm. I don't see anything. He goes, you're good to go. The story flows well, blah, 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 blah. So that was nice. pretty cool. And um, so getting through the lettering phase, I did it in a total of three days. So I, I just really, about that? yeah, I really yeah. buckled down and um, I just had three days where I basically did nothing else beyond my normal everyday stuff that I got to do in the house, walk the dogs, you know, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, three days, I knocked out the entire book, got everything flatted. Um, um, so the thing I'm doing now is I'm turning those pages into JPEGs. So nothing moves around on the page itself. So when I do send it to, you know, you... Um, or Tristan in this, in this case, Tristan actually responded to me. And so he's actually able to make the PDF. So, uh, we were having some, uh, uh, okay. So rewind, uh, behind the curtain stuff. I asked Keith, if you he could help me out with the PDF, uh, the guy that normally helps me out is, uh, you know, Tristan Whitehouse. He's been at MIA. I didn't know where he was and I sent him an email and he, he finally responded. 
you know, Keith actually agreed to do the PDF. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, there was some notes there that, that we had to talk about. And then out of nowhere, the email from Tristan came in. So I was just like, oh, okay. right on. So uh, Keith is finding out right now on the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're basically like, fuck your notes, Keith. <laughs> I was like, Keith, you have too much on your plate. <laughs> you, yeah. You got too yeah, much shit to exactly. do. Um, yeah, so, you got a lot of shit, brother. Yeah, so, so that actually worked out. Um, one less thing that you have to do. So having those pages in JPEG form is actually a new development. That's actually something Keith asked for, um, specifically when I asked him a uh, file type. And this is actually something like Eric Larson does with his uh, with his pages when he sends them to the printer. Because when you do have that PDF page, or if you send them the Illustrator file, there's a chance that they can accidentally move something on the page. And when you get it back, you're like, hey, why is that like that? It wasn't like that when I sent it to you. And then it's just, it happens all the time. You know, you accidentally click your mouse on the page and it moves something and you think nothing got moved, but something did get moved. So if you flatten your image completely, have those letter pages turned into a JPEG. So I use Adobe uh, Illustrator and Photoshop. So for lettering purposes, there is no JPEG option to save. So you can save it as an Illustrator file, some other different options, and a PDF. So what I do is I'll save it, I'll save the Illustrator file so I have the original workable file. I'll have the PDF version, and then I will drop the PDF version into Photoshop. So in Photoshop, all I do is save as JPEG. So if you mm -hmm. guys out there know there's a faster way to do that, let me know. But I, as far as I know, that's the fastest way to do it. Um, but what that allows that to be is your lettering is now one with your image. It is one solid piece. There's nothing that can get moved around, no errors that can occur, um, at least on your end and them accidentally. So I think those are ready to roll. And uh, yeah, so so the process is moving along. And hopefully I'll get that PDF back tonight because um, I think Tristan's work schedule, I think he checks his emails basically at night only. So hopefully I'll mm -hmm. get the PDF in tonight. I'll be able to shoot that over to my, my printer and then get this all rolling and hopefully have it back within a week or so. Rock on, man. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, my second thing is... Not interesting. To, uh, it's less to talk about, but it's still a chunk of time that I spent this week, and that's why it's worth me mentioning. Um, and that is that I've been putting work into the Kickstarter launch. So by the time this comes out, the Kickstarter will be one week in. It is an Invader book, but I don't think I talk about Invader Kickstarters enough, even though I do a ton of work for them. It's our book that's coming out soon called Return to Fairtalia. And it is a seven-part comic series. And uh, yeah, man, I hope people are in interested in checking it out. It's basically kids go to a fairy tale land at a young age. and But it's not, it's not a kid's story. It's, it's, not, it's not a fucking fairy tale, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a R-rated story in the guise and in the look of a kid's story. But what happens is they go... And they do, like, good, fun, save the kingdom stuff. And then years later, you know, it goes away. They they go on with their lives. And then years later, the people from the, the fairy tale place, Fairtalia, say, we need you to come back because shit's going down. Right? That, that's basically the, the story. Um, so we've been working on that. And it's by some cool dudes from Germany who, like, make tons of movies over there and work on German TV and things like that. So, yeah, man, if that's something that interests you or you just want to check out a new comic, it's called Return to Fairtalia. But in terms of what I did, 
I do a lot of the Kickstarter bulk work for uh, all the stuff. So like Mike will write the copy and do all that. And then I'm the one who builds the tiers. I, I tend to design a lot of the tiers or have a, a heavy amount of input in what the tiers are going to look like, what extras we're going to put in. I work with the creators on what things they really want to represent there. And then I do all of the Kickstarter building that Scott and I have talked about for all of our books. So that's probably why I'm getting better and better at actually building out Kickstarters, because I I don't just do the two books that are keys every year. I do like 10 every year in terms of just keeping up these reps and continuing to do all the Kickstarter stuff. So it's not the most like fun thing to talk about, I guess, but it is a big chunk of time. And um, and it's stuff that takes up my week. So why not mention it? Well, yeah, and it's just something that the creators that are listening to this podcast need to know. It's just, like it's not all glamour, it's not all fun. You don't. It's not only Keith in his bubble bath musing about Kadoja and what's going to happen next. He actually has to. <laughs> <laughs> he, he has to uh, build out these kickstarters. It's not glamorous. It's not fun at all. I mean, exactly. Because then I have look. The problem is. It's not building the Kickstarter that's the problem. It's moving my computer into the into the bath area so that I can stay in the bubble bath but still build out the Kickstarter. That's right. But then you have the concern about shorting out your computer because bubbles might get in there, they melt down, and then all of a sudden shit doesn't work right. And you fried your computer and your bubble bath's ruined. Yeah, that's 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 a lose-lose situation. <laughs> exactly. You lose your bubble exactly. bath, you lose your computer. And yeah, yeah, exactly. No exactly. Good. Ah. I wish there was another way to do it, man, instead of just <laughs> going through all that work to build it out while I'm in the bubble bath. But, you know, yeah. maybe there's another way. I don't know. I have a feeling like <laughs> as many Kickstarters as we do, I don't think it'll ever get to the point of how we feel about lettering. You know, it's just like just in the numbers when we talk about lettering, lettering isn't the favorite thing for you guys to hear us talk about. And yeah. it definitely isn't the glamorous part of making comics. And neither is creating Kickstarters or, you know, yeah. advertising online. But it's things that you guys have to do. And yeah. yeah, it's just interesting, though, that as long as we've been doing this, the more lettering that we've been doing, the more we like it and enjoy it. It's a calming thing. Yeah. Um, you know, just hearing that I've knocked out uh, Wanderers 3 in three days of lettering, that lets you know that you can get into a flow. You can build build a system on how you do lettering. And once you get in the groove, it's, it's all easy. You know, it's yeah. it's super easy and super fun. I like it. I wouldn't say super fun, but it's fun. You know, it goes from yeah. being not fun at all and being a chore to just like, oh, okay, this is a therapeutic that I need to do. It's just another one of the steps. But uh, totally. you know, Kickstarter, it's it is what it is. You know, you the more you do it, the easier it gets for you to do. It's like a day job. You know what I mean? It's like once yeah. you learn how to do it, you just know how to do it. Um, but it just takes time, like anything. Yeah. Totally, totally. And, and you're right. It, no amount of doing it can make it as fun or as soothing as lettering is, but it can make it go by, right? Because uh, that's that's all you're really doing. You're just building it because it's important. It's important to do, but yeah, it, uh, it it it's something that needs to be done, like a lot of things. Um, did you have a third thing? Uh, nope, that's it. Okay. Well, that means it is time for our main topic this week. And so what this is going to be is this is going to be a, a bit of a part one and a part two, because I think there's some interesting things to talk about. So Scott dropped this screenshot on me from and you said you were saving it for a rainy day. And if you want to add anything once I'm done here, please do. But he sent me this amazing capture from what looks like a tweet from Larry Hama. 
um, and it is from August of 2013. And it's I'll 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 give the lead in for it. It says these are my ten rules for drawing a comic book page that sums up what I have learned in forty odd years in the biz. They are not universal; they are my own personal guidelines. So there is nothing to disagree about. So we're not going to disagree with them, but we think they're really interesting and deserve further discussion. So depending on how much discussion we have, again, we think there's some stuff to talk about here. We're going to do five this week and then five next week and go from there. So um, so why don't we just get to these? I think some of them might be a little bit shorter, but uh, I can't wait to hear what you say about them. I have some thoughts, but not strong thoughts. But uh, the first one we want to talk about here is don't have people just standing there. So, Scott, you want to kind of like elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking he's talking mainly about background characters, but he could be talking about every single character. Uh, this this he isn't the first person that I heard say that like there's cartoonists, the, you know, YouTube channels or just them writing in on their social media pages, like what they do and what they expect from their drawings. And a lot of it is don't have your characters just standing around. You know, if, if you got two background characters, you know, you got your main characters doing whatever they're doing in the story, right? If, if you're competent enough at making comics, you know that your main characters aren't just standing there doing nothing. So if they're out in public, if they're in a scene that have other characters involved, make those background characters doing something also. You can actually get a little side story out of background characters. Sometimes I like doing that. I don't do it all the time. Um, I do like to have them doing something, but every once in a while I'll have them doing silly actions just in case people are paying attention to stuff like that. It's kind of like um, when I do Easter eggs in my story. I do a lot of Easter eggs. I'll put... Um, you know, some some pop culture stuff in the background. Like, you know, like maybe a, a sonic screwdriver or a TARDIS or something like that. Like I'll do, you know, things along those lines. You know, have Marty McFly or the DeLorean in the background. Um, I may or may not have done those things. Um, if you see yeah. them and you work for someone that owns those things, those aren't them. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I like to do things like that. You know, just have, like, little, little Easter eggs in the background and, you know, have things be more interesting. You know, just standing there looking at the wall, like, that's not really – that's not what you're, what people really do. You know, like, you can have a couple of characters looking at their phone because today's, in today's society, multiple people are just standing around staring at their phone. That's the thing. You know, walking, staring at the phone. Um, I don't know, pointing something out in the background, having an argument. There's many things that you can have your background characters do um, just to keep things interesting. Yeah, let's talk about foreground characters a little bit. So here's what's going through my brain as you're talking and as I'm trying to absorb what I think he's trying to say there. Because I'm trying to unpack it. I've been reading a lot of older Amazing Spider-Man. And when I think about this line of don't have people just standing there, the first thought I went to is like, well, wait a minute. There are scenes in the Daily Bugle all the time where J. Jonah Jameson is yelling at somebody, mainly the uh, assistant guy whose name escapes me, who's Peter Parker's friend. But isn't he standing there? Like, that's the way my brain works. And then as I think about it more without consulting the book... I think he's not standing there. In fact, so like what I think is actually happening and I'll have to go back and check this because I do think that this is happening on some level is that in a weird way, comic panels are not identical to photographs. And here's what I mean by that. If I'm J. Jonah Jameson and I'm yelling at you, Scott, the uh, assistant, then the way that that conversation works in reality 
is that I, J. Jonah Jameson, go into my little histrionics and I'm waving my fists and I'm cursed Spider-Man and I'm holding up the paper and I'm doing things. So therefore, I am not, quote, just standing there. You, however, in the middle of this tirade, probably are, right? You're probably just standing there. Maybe your arms are folded. Maybe they're at their side. And you're listening to my insane ass go on a rant about Spider-Man again. But comics, I don't think, tend to do that because then what I think would happen is you would then respond and you would talk with your hands and you would do something so that you, the other person in the room, are not just standing there. But what's interesting about comic panels is it does tend to have a little bit of a time bridge there where it is not, in fact, a still moment in time. It is actually two moments in time that you don't think about because by the time your word bubble comes on, you are talking and therefore you are acting. So the panel itself has both you and I emoting, talking with our hands, pointing, shaking our fists, doing whatever we're doing. So neither of us are, quote, just standing there, even though time is being spent in this panel. Four seconds, seven seconds, however many seconds it is. And therefore, that's not what reality would look like. Again, if you took a series of photos through the shot, this um, this panel would be a combination of the earlier and later moments in time within the frame of that entire panel. Right. And it's all at the artist's discretion. Because um, your first example, I can really see that. I could see um, the assistant while J. Jonah Jameson is gesticulating, you know, just using his hands to talk. I can see him mm-hmm. with a notepad just writing down whatever he's saying. You know, you should do this. Yeah. You need to do this. So in that instance, like that's where my mind went. Like not just sure. visualizing the, the bullpen. It's like, okay, yeah. if the boss is screaming, more than likely his assistant is taking notes. So, like, if right. I was drawing that panel, that's what I... So, he, he wouldn't be just standing there. He'd actually be there taking notes. Or he's sure. getting scolded okay. for something. So, the fact that he is in one position, um, that is an instance where it is okay for him to just stand there and take it. So, right. yeah, you're eating a bag of shit you're going to stand there, you're going to take this. So in that instance, this particular scene that we painted here, like it's completely okay. So, um, and then what the character can be doing is expressing stuff with his face. So maybe his hands aren't doing anything. Maybe they're at his sides. Maybe his shoulders are slumped. So I think, Mm -hmm. I think in actuality, what Larry uh, Hama is saying is, have them acting all the time. So he can just mm-hmm. be standing there, but slump his shoulder, show it in his face. You know, like, I think I think that exact line means don't let him have a blank face doing nothing. Don't let, let his body language do nothing. Like, there has mm-hmm. to be something going on there. So even if it's minor, it's still something. You know, put his hands in his yeah. pockets, slump his shoulders, uh, give him puppy dog eyes. He's doing something. Sure. Yep. No, that that was going to be my follow up question to that, too, that there might be nuances and subtleties that you can put there. Absolutely. So not every so not every panel involving a conversation, because that's really what we're talking <laughs> right. about. Here. Yeah, it would ha- imagine yeah. that insane panel where your main two characters are gesticulating and every background character is gesticulating as well. It yeah, looks like exactly. a, a fucking mosh pit or something. Yeah, yeah. Or I mean, or they're walking, right? I mean, that's the point too. If they're if they're moving, then then there's implied motion. There. Right. So, okay, no, but but interesting, interesting stuff to think about. Um, the next one says, and I don't know what this means, so it must be art terms. Avoid tangents and any straight line that divides the panel. 
Um, okay, so tangents. Tangents are characters or items in the background butted up against each other. So you, you've you seen them online. You have to have seen them online. There's memes online where it looks like one thing is going on where something else is going on completely different. Like, you know, it looks like a grandma with her legs spread, but no, oh. it's not. It's this guy's arm. His arm is right here and it's next to her hip. And it, his gotcha. forearm makes it look like her thigh. So it's, it's yeah. things like that. So, um, you know, and that can create... So what that does create is called a tangent. Um, so this character might look like they have three hands. Like, where's this guy's extra? No, no, it's the guy behind him. That's his hand. It just so happened to line up next to the front character's hand to make it look like they have three hands. So okay, um, that's what tangents are. Things that are uh, in the foreground and in the background lined up in a way that they look like one thing. Mm-hmm. Or create some okay. kind of odd shape. Um, okay. Where is that... And any, and any straight line that divides a panel. I would say that is um, an up or down movement uh, line, specifically. that divide, uh, Any straight line that divides a panel. So I would think that's something that would make the panel look like two separate panels. Mm-hmm. I think that's more or less what he means. Like, you don't... If it's a single panel, you don't want to have a line going through it, which makes it look like it divides the panel into two because that'll get confusing when you're reading it. So when reading comics, um, you know, it's like reading a book. You start at the top left, you go to the right, you go down left to the right, you know? So if you have a line there in your brain, your brain goes, okay, well, that's the end of this line. That's the end of this Mm -hmm. panel. I don't need to go any further. So I think the straight line could cause something in your brain to go to misread the, the panel itself. Makes sense. I mean, both of those things seem to tie to a larger thing of visual confusion. The goal there is to avoid visual confusion and uh, and keep it, you know, yeah, don't try to do anything dumb that really introduces visual confusion into a panel. Yep. All right. So the next one, I find this one interesting. If you use an odd angle in the shot, there has to be a reason for it. That's an interesting one. Um, uh, these are Larry's rules. These are not hard yeah. set. So these are the rules exactly. that he goes by. Yeah. You know, these are his personal rules, and that doesn't mean they have to be your eyes. I happen to enjoy odd angles to spice up the very kind of scene we've talked about in many episodes before about needing spicing up. Um, there's a there's a page in Kadoja's, I think, first issue that I always turn to that I love from Rory because Rory does some pretty crazy angles for an office conversation, and I think it completely works. I love it. Because that way you're not just dealing with people talking at boring camera levels. Yep. So, you know, to each their own on this one. Yeah, exactly. Or, I mean, on that all is, of them, but yeah. Yeah, that and that's something we've talked about here. The avoiding the talking head page or make, spicing up the talking head page. So that's exactly what Keith is talking about. You know, if you do have a bunch of characters talking to each other in a room... You want to find some interesting angles um, to to look at things, just to make it visu- visually stimulating to the audience, to the reader. Um, so I'm I'm I know what he's saying in this. Like me personally, I don't agree, but I do have an example that popped into my head just reading and think about it. In Second Shift One, there is a panel. So Sarah is in a fight scene uh, pretty early on in the issue, and 
a guy lunges at her face with a knife. She catches it and leans backwards, kind of like a bridge or like matrix, like think of a matrix, but he's, you know, jabbing it towards her face. So she catches the wrist, back bends, and then the next panel I have upside down because mm-hmm. it is from her view. So she sees these other thugs over here upside down. So the, therefore the panel's upside down. So I can see his I can see his example in my head of an example of I've something that I've done. I was like, "Oh, that mm-hmm. that makes sense for on that page for instance." But, you know, you do want to spice things up, like do your Dutch angles. So when I read odd angle, the first thing that popped into my head is a Dutch angle. And okay. honestly, from other professionals, I've heard avoid straight on shots, you know, do a canted angle if you can, you know, it makes it more interesting. Even if it's just slightly, uh, unlevel, it's more interesting visually than a straight line across. So avoid those if you can. And, um, so yeah, this is one where it's kind of agree to disagree, but I kind of, I understand what he's saying because it is his own method. Like if he follows kind of like these set guides of how he lays panels out and then he just does one that's not in his normal repartee you know what i mean it's not in his normal yeah. uh you know wheelhouse that he does then that would make sense you know it's just like okay well is, is this character like on drugs or something um, yeah totally totally um so yeah i'm while you were talking i conjured up something from my memory and i keep this with me i have making comics by scott mcleod here and it it Reminded me of something, if you have Making Comics, it's on page 48. So he talks about a basic story. And I'm just going to read these things because I think they illustrate some of this. He says, for example, if we take the basic compositions found in our sample story and apply even a few of these dynamic effects. So what he does from one to the other is tells the same story, but uses a little bit more of a dynamic camera angle, moves the camera around, quote unquote, blah, blah, blah. And then here what he says is specifically more extreme depth cues, some diagonals, some exaggerated postures and one or two fourth wall breaks then these panels start to feel a little more lively without sacrificing much clarity in the process. But ramp up those same elements too much and you get an incomprehensible jumble. And the beauty of it is he does all three. He sketches out a quick, like, straight-ahead version, uh, an amped-up, more dynamic version, and then a completely amped-up, confusing-ass version. So somewhere in the space is what we're talking about here. Getting back to the rule by Larry Hama, if you use an odd angle in the shot, there has to be a reason for it. You could definitely interpret that as the extreme version of what Scott McCloud just referred to there, right? If you're if you're going for something dramatic that means something, then yes, there should be a reason for it. Tilting the camera, doing some things, making things lively, maybe the Kadoja example I'm giving, not not an example of what Larry Hama is talking about if you if you assume that what he's saying is in line with what Scott McCloud's saying here in Making Comics. There you go. Yeah, so it could just be simply a misinterpretation on our end. So you guys interpret that how you will. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, hey, we're drinking. <laughs> that's right. Uh, okay, next one. If you don't have at least one panel on each page with a full figure, your, quote, camera is too close. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Um, There's something that the Image Comics guys do, um, the the initial guys, the founding fathers of Image Comics. It's called a anchor panel. 
So your ankle anchor panel is usually the money shot of that page. So that is more than likely a full figure character or like a really sweet bust, a great pose, something along those lines. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting we're talking about uh, if your camera's too close, too far, or whatever, um, camera angles. So I, I follow this one creator. He's a pretty well-known creator. Uh, he has a pretty popular YouTube channel, and he's been working on a book, and he's, he's transitioning into a penciler. Um, and so I picked up his book. It just, it just came out not too long ago. And I was looking at it, and he's great with advice. Like, I love following his YouTube page. Um, and, and he has great information in there, things that he's, he's learned from very famous creators. And I picked up this book and, and I just wanted to check it out, see how he's doing. This, this is kind of like, uh, this is, I don't know if it's a pet peeve, but it's kind of close to it. Follow your own advice because a lot of the advice that he gives on his, his YouTube channel is very good. Like it, it's all super solid advice and I've listened to a lot of it and it's helped him, helped me out tremendously. But looking at his his issue that he released recently, he does not follow his own advice. Like I was like, wow, there is a lot of mid shots. Like these are all mid shots. These are all around the same level. So that's something that you just have to be mindful of. Um, you don't want to have your camera too co close. You don't want to have it too far, and you don't want to have it just in the middle all the time, because you get those those mid size shots. If you if you take a step back from your page, if you're working traditionally, take a couple steps back and check it out. If, you, if you're working digitally, zoom out. Look at your page, see the size of your characters. If they are all roughly around the same size, you're, you're not moving your camera around enough, you're not zooming in enough, you're not zooming out enough, you gotta get that bird's eye view, you gotta get that canted angle, that, that Dutch angle. You want all of those things on your pages and it just wasn't something he did throughout almost the mm -hmm. entire issue. I think I found two pages where he actually moved it around a little bit, but uh, you, make sure you're following your, you know, Go through my most recent books, and I guarantee you I'm following the advice that I give you guys. Um, if you look at the earlier issues, if you guys have backed my Kickstarters, and check check those early issues out. I didn't know any of these rules yet. So you're not going to find a lot of it. Like If you do find it, it was purely accidental. It was me basically reading comics my entire life and interpreting comics in my own brain and then creating them. Um, now that I know the rules, it's easier for me to follow them. So in the more current issues of my books, you'll see that these rules are always followed. And, you know, in this yeah. instance, it's like, well, this creator didn't follow any of his own rules. I mean, not they're not his rules, but the comic rules of which he is spouting, they're not being followed. Stephen King actually did the same thing. Stephen King has a book on writing called On Writing. And I believe that's a book, if not other places, where he rails on adverbs. And the thing about adverbs is when people ra uh, rail on adverbs, what they're really doing is railing on the adverbs that end in L-Y, right? Because so so the quick version of this, I may have mentioned this before, I'm not sure. If you're using an adverb, it means that your verb isn't good enough. So if you say he walked quickly, he darted, he, he sprinted, he rushed, right? Like just use a better verb. You don't need that that adverb that's modifying the verb. But the weird thing is, then I read Stephen King and like, he sometimes he just sluts it up with adverbs. And it's like, dude, you're, you're one of the grand oppo uh, uh, like members of the opposition against adverbs. And then you're using them pretty, 
you know, more heavily than someone in your position would be considering your outspoken stance on them. So, yeah, it is. It's kind of crazy the way that works sometimes. <laughs> and you can see it's really cost him. <laughs> yeah, totally. He's a pauper yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so final final one for this segment before we wrap it up. Any expression is better than a blank stare. Absolutely, yes. That seems pretty cut and dry, that right? That is like, very cut and dry. Um, yeah. I these, have... these last two were pretty straightforward, I think. Like, yep, totally makes sense. Did I tell you, on or off the air, I'm not sure, uh, about my San Diego Comic Fest story w- with um, with Neil Adams? I don't think so. Not okay. Neil Adams. So, uh, rest in peace, Neil Adams. I met him once. Uh, no, I've I've seen him off the air. You told me off the air. Okay. You told me at Free Comic Book Day. Oh, okay. So yeah. I have seen Neil Adams probably about four or five times in my life. I've met him once, and didn't know I was meeting him. So this this falls in line with my meeting Stan Sakai on the on a train. And not knowing it was Stan Sakai because I don't know what most artists look like, and um, I just like if you show me their work, I'll go, yeah, that's Neil Adams, you know, or that's Stan Sakai. You you show me their work, uh, like their work is practically their face to me. So their face isn't their face. <laughs> so yeah. I'm I'm at San Diego Comic Fest one year. It might be 2015, 2016. I, I can't remember. It was quite a while ago. And uh, we're in a completely separate room in the hotel. And it's just where all the artists are. It's very small. It's like when it's dead in there, you can hear a pin drop. Like that's, that's, mm-hmm. you know, how small the room was, how, how tight the room was. And uh, so we're in the room and I guess a panel lets out. So there's some people that come up and there's an older couple and they're walking around the room and he just, the, the, the man just starts pointing out things that are wrong with everyone's art. He's just going down the line. Just saying things like, oh, uh, not good with uh, figures, no, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And then he gets to me and he goes, not expressive enough faces. And then he moves along. And I'm like, who the fuck was that? What's his problem? And then I'm thinking about it and I'm looking at him and I'm like, oh, fuck, that's Neil Adams. Because I've seen pictures (laughs) of Neil Adams, but it's not, you know, he's not one of the creators that, uh, you know, I grew up looking at you know what i mean it's just like i'm a 90s kid so it was just like uh you know like as far as comics go i'm a 90s kid so um it took me a minute and i was like i think that was fucking neil adams i think neil adams said my faces aren't expressive enough so guess what i did i worked on my faces yeah you made your faces more expressive (laughs) exactly so you know if if a legend criticizes your work and says this is, you know, essentially this is what you need to work on. Then that's the thing I worked on. So absolutely, yeah. Larahama, I agree with this. You know, have more expressive faces. Expressive face is way better than a blank face, for sure. Totally. Totally. All right, man. Hey, let's bring some bullshit. What kind of bullshit you want to bring? Well, so I saw Thor Love and Thunder. Don't worry, I'm not going to say anything about the movie because it's still fresh. But yeah, I did get a... The Mighty Thor number one, the first Jane Foster as Thor, CGC slabbed, uh, 9.2. So that mm-hmm. came in now, the mail. You mentioned that last week. Yep. Yeah. Oh, it showed it, up. Yeah, yeah it yeah. showed up uh, yesterday. So, which which was uh, serendipitous because I actually watched the movie yesterday. So it yeah. showed up and then like a few hours later I watched it. The funny part is we were scheduled to record a podcast. And <laughs> yes, we were. <laughs> so I had double booked myself. 
And it was literally 10 minutes or less before we were about to record the podcast when my best friend texted me, said, hey, I'll just meet you at the theater. I started watching the boys season finale, so I'm behind. And I was like, oh, shit, is that today? I thought that's tomorrow. So I had saved it on the wrong day um, and double booked myself. And thankfully, you had nothing going on the next day, which is today. And uh, we were able to get it done. So, so yeah, yeah, man, thank you so much for being accommodating because that was a major cluster. Daniela had, while we were doing the pod, we're supposed to be doing the pod. Daniela scheduled herself to go hang out with her mom, do some plant work or whatever, whatever girls do. And uh, so, yeah, so we had our whole night planned out. And then, uh, you know, this monkey wrench gets thrown in the system and we're, we actually end up making the movie. Thank goodness she went and hung out with her mom for like 20 minutes. And thankfully you said we can reschedule. And so I was able yeah. to get ready, take the dogs out and then go, go watch the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fine because uh, my wife and I are in ramp down moan. Um, and one of the reasons is because we just got, so for me, the bullshit centers around the fact that we were in Minneapolis for a lot of last week. So it was, I mean, we've been doing this podcast a couple of years now. So it was the big summer national tournament. It is the fencing nationals, right? So fencing has monthly national tournaments where they contest some events. And then the big summer national tournament where they contest absolutely every event. So most fencing national tournaments are four days long. Summer nationals is 12 because everything gets contested. And uh, I mean, the highlight for me was that Eden, in fact, got third place in one of the top events and is now an A-rated fencer. So I am super happy for that. Oh, wow. That's because awesome. There, there is no higher rating to get. Like, once you're an A, you're just an A. Yeah, you know? that's like, great. There, there are plenty of better fencers in the world than her, but there's nobody higher rated because you can't get rated higher than an A. It's not possible. So, you know, that's it's it's very exciting. It's been a ton of work for her. She's the one doing the work. We're just driving her to practice, you know, and um, so really happy for her. As for Minnesota, we did have some time Minneapolis. We did have time to do some stuff. And I don't know, man, I, I don't I don't like speaking ill about a city, but you're about to the down. But well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to I yeah, I didn't say I wouldn't do it. I said I don't like it, you know, and um so fair people of Minneapolis, if I'm getting something wrong, please let me know, okay? But we stayed downtown because that's where the convention center is. And downtown, the vibe that I get from downtown is this, is that it is a working downtown or was a working downtown. Plenty of downtowns used to be like this where they'd be like, you'd, you'd work downtown and you'd live in the burbs. And I don't think Minneapolis ever really converted back to a place where people live there. So when COVID hit, the downtown got hollowed out and people don't really exist there. So that's thing number one. Thing number two is Minneapolis has a notorious claim to fame from I think it's 2020. That's where George Floyd got murdered by a police officer. So that town got really hollowed out because there were riots, you know, in in the town. And I'm not sure the downtown has ever recovered. Um, Most restaurants were closed. Fortunately, we had rented a car for the first two days, so we were able to drive around. And one thing that was pretty cool about Minneapolis was that I found... So if if you're going to Minneapolis and you're shopping for comics, 
The coolest comic shop to me was actually one that is invisible to Yelp. It was a place called Hot Comics and Collectibles. And so you're not going to find it on Yelp. What you're going to find is two old addresses from Hot Comics and Collectibles, but the current address is on like Google, and that's how I found it. I was just doing searches everywhere else, and I was like, what is this shop? What are all these tons of back issues? And that was the place. It was crazy with back issues. So, so many back issues. Um, It's the kind of place where you could almost think about a book and have it be there. You know, like I was on the hunt. One of my little want list books, find it when I find it, was Hulk 377. And uh, goddamn if it wasn't there. You know, oh, of course nice. it was there. Yeah. And then another another book on my list that I, I didn't think I'd find anywhere was Parasomnia 1 through 4. Now, that's written by Cullen Bunn and illustrated by Andrea Mutti. And the reason that I wanted to find that is because I'm scheduled to interview Cullen Bunn for um, iHorror. Uh, you know, iHorror said, yeah, sure, interview him. You know, I arranged that. So hopefully that still happens. I'm still working on it. But I wanted to do my research. And, uh, you know, Parasomni is the kind of book, like, how many comic stores are you going to find that damn book in? Not many. You have to go to the ones that are really stocked deep and go heavy on third parties and independents. And, uh, hey, they were all there. So that was great, too. That's awesome. And I found some, and I found some books for you, too, as well, right? Yeah. Which I took a photo of when we were in the shop. Um, so, so that was really nice. But in terms of the rest of Minneapolis, what was weird is, and maybe it's because of our limited time, maybe it's because of whatever, but like, I had a really hard time finding like what I felt was the the soul of it. You know what I mean? Like, it's easy to find, like, there there wasn't a regional cuisine for me to really sink my teeth into, both figurative, figuratively and literally. Um, it does have some claims to fame. It's got the Mall of America, which is pretty insane. But, uh, you know, it's a mall with a goddamn theme park in the middle of it, basically. It's it's pretty bonkers. Um, and it was nice. So, but it did feel like I was kind of, I searched for what, what the heart, the funk of Minneapolis was and wasn't able to find it yet. So maybe I was looking in the wrong place. Maybe it was a bad weekend to do it. Um, I did find some good local beers there, of course, and had them. In fact, um, oh God, I got, I'll, I'll look it up for next time, but uh, it was, it's a fantastic place. And of course the name is slipping my head. Their mascot is like a, a cutout figure of a bearded guy. But uh, I'll have it for next time. I had an amazing oh, Dangerous Man. It's called Dangerous Man. Oh, that's Dangerous a fun Man name. Brewing. Yeah, Dangerous Man Brewing Company was the bomb, and I got a beer there. They had two beers that I thought were phenomenal. One was a sake rice lag- lager. Ooh, it was awesome. So Scott, it was basically like a, a rice lager that tasted a whole lot like a golden, like the madam. Oh wow! It reminded okay. me so much. It was like a lower octane madam. It was like five percent alcohol, but it was just like drinking the madam in terms of flavor. Just a really rich flavor. And the other one that I thought was awesome, I believe it was called. God, what the fuck was it called? It was like very berry. Julius I milkshake or something like that. It was okay. fantastic. It was fantastic. Was and that the place it. that you sent me the the picture yes. of the the board? Yeah, the, yes. there was like five beers there just on description alone I wanted to try. Yeah, yeah. And and what's even cooler is they have boozy soft serve ice cream there, which I did not have a chance. Oh, nice. We had we had gotten some we had gotten some sweet desserts somewhere else. And uh, so I was all deserted out. But man, I, I wish if we wouldn't have, I definitely would have gotten some boozy soft serve ice cream. So I will say Dangerous Man was amazing. Hot Comics and Collectibles was amazing. And so, yeah, man, there was there was some fun stuff to be found there. Nice. Um, um, I yeah. had speaking of the madam, 
which is from Society Brewing, which is right next to SoCal Comics. Um, I was out. I met with Travis from the Accidental Aliens. He was pretty close to my house. He goes, hey, I'm over here at this bar. I'm hanging out with one of my buddies. Uh, you want to know if you want to roll through. Like, it was literally five minutes from my house. I was like, I'll be right there. And mm-hmm. so I was looking at all their beers. And the only beer that, well, there's two beers that popped out at me. And the one that I picked was the Pupil. So that mm. is from Society Brewing. We always yes. get the Madam when when I go. It, it's always the one that I get when I go with Keith. That's the one he gets as well. Um, I tried the Pupil. I really enjoyed it. It's a lot lighter than yeah. the Madam is. But it was perfect for this weather, this warm weather that we're having. It was perfect. Yeah. So I really enjoyed that. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. You got any other bullshit? Um, I got... Do I have any other bullshit? I do, actually. Yeah. You know, I was... I took a trip to SoCal Comics, as I do. And I was like, wow, okay. I only have five books on from my pull list this week. You know, it was just like, really, it was three. And I found a couple of other things I wanted to try out. And um, I was like, what else they got going on? I had too much money, I guess. <laughs> Burning a hole in my pocket. So I was looking around. And honestly, I just don't look around there enough. Because I found this section, which is very close to the dollar bins. It's on, like, the front end of the dollar bins. Where they bundle um, uh, certain comics. Like, I think it's usually older comics. But they'll give you a little run. So I nice. found a couple of things. One of them was the legacy of Luther, Luther Strode. Strode. Hold on one second. Right here. Yes. Okay. So this is actually a book I have been collecting in the dollar bin. Dollar bins. It is the legacy of Luther Strode. And this is by Justin Jordan, Trad Moore, and Felipe Sobrero. Um, so Trad Moore actually mentioned on the podcast, I think last week or the week before, he's an artist that likes to use... The theme of his art is parallel lines. He loves parallel lines and repeating patterns. So it was interesting that I found a, a one through six run of it for six bucks. Nice. Yeah, so it was a... Is, is, he, a, is he a traditional artist? <laughs> he is a traditional artist. Nice. The, okay. the more you see, the more you can tell. <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought that was a great price, like six bucks for six issues. That's a, you know, dollar bin, yeah. But it has, hell yes, sir. But it has yeah. issue one in it. Issue ones are always so hard to find. So I was grabbed. Yeah, to, man. I was glad to grab that, and that was one of them. And another series that I found, uh, it's from IDW. It's called The Highest House. So uh, a podcast that I love, I fanboy. They actually talked about this book when it first came out, and I remember the storyline sounding very interesting, and I just, I like the look of the book, because it mm-hmm. is actually kind of like a magazine size, yeah. um, and this actually came out well before DC started doing the Black Label books, the magazine size books, so this mm-hmm. came out, I think, a year or two before DC started doing that, and um, yeah. I saw it on the stands. And at the time, I think comics were still going for two ninety nine. This was four ninety nine. I was being a little cheap. I was like, you know what? I really like that cover, but I, I just don't know what that's about. So I just didn't buy it. And the fact that I saw it bundled there, so I got the one through six, the first six issues for eight bucks. So yeah, yeah, that is a great price. I'm very happy about that. So that's a section of SoCal Comics that I'm going to be uh, tapping into more. Just 
checking there every week to see if they have new bundles going on. They had some interesting stuff. They had some Walking Dead things going on. And mm-hmm. and uh, I was like, oh, okay, these seem like interesting runs. But those two specifically, they jumped out at me, and I had to buy them. Nice, nice. Hey, let me let me round out uh, bringing the bullshit by mentioning some books that I've um, I, I had read one or two of and had liked them and got the whole run, or at least very close to the whole run, and enjoyed them as well. So number one is King of Nowhere on Boom. Uh, It's written by W. Maxwell Prince, uh, a.k.a. the Ice Cream Man guy. It's a five-issue limited series. I loved it. I just thought it was very, very cool. So fun, fun book out there that I don't know a single person ever talked about, but man, is it good. So King of Nowhere uh, was really enjoyable. Another book that's uh, fun because you can just pick up any issue and go with it is Jim Henson's Storytellers. Oh. Everything is just, or the storyteller. It's just a one-shot issue, and it, it has a nice little fairy tale kind of thing going from beginning to end. Really enjoyable as well. So that's a fun one. You know, when I'm waking up with my coffee and I just want something that doesn't make me think a whole lot, that's a great one because it's just you know you're going to finish the story in a single issue. And then the uh, the final one actually was recommended by friend of the podcast Brian Clark when I had mentioned when we had talked about Evan Dorkin a few weeks ago. He had told me that Beasts of Burden is this cool book that Evan Dorkin, I think, co-writes. But it is basically dog detectives uh, that, like, follow occult things and have occult powers. Oh, interesting. Really, really fucking cool, man. So, Brian, great job. I got one of the Beasts of Burden series, and I've only read a few issues and got the rest of it. And now I'll probably be hunting down the others as well. Really cool fun as hell and uh, and definitely some good like horror demon occult stuff so quality right shit cool yeah man so with that you can find me on instagram at both keith underscore invader that is keith doing things posting pictures quotes and of course the books that i write and then there's also at kadoja kaiju which is just the giant monster universe is the only universe you live in and that is kadoja kaiju and you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, on Twitter and Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yep, for websites, KeithRFoster.com has stuff on my books, some stuff on me, links to blog posts of mine, and of course a store where you can pick up any books that you want to grab that you haven't grabbed yet, or you just want to fill out your run. So, Three Protectors, Kung Fu in Space or Kadoja, which is Giant Monsters meets H.P. Lovecraft. If you want to check out either of those books, they are there waiting for you right now on KeithRFoster.com. And you can find my books that I do at AccidentalAliens.com. That's Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night. And Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans. A thousand years in the future, we start colonizing other planets and come across the planet Melisanda, where the meteor never hit and dinosaurs of that world survived and evolved. So, two dominant species trying to coexist on one planet. Keith, does that work? It never works. It never works. It never works. It's just... It doesn't. It just doesn't. Yeah. So, uh, if you want my books, go to AccidentalAliens.com and pick those up there. You know what does work? Is when you go to Apple Podcasts or you go to Spotify Podcasts and you give us five stars. Because that gets the algorithms to go on our side. And we love the algorithms being on our side. Because Scott and I, we just came back. We didn't mention this on the podcast. We had a big, long battle where we were fighting the algorithms. And algorithms are real motherfuckers to fight. They're much easier to be on your team than against you. 
So let's put those algorithms on Scott and Keith's team. That's Five right. stars. Absolutely. And uh, the algorithm is going to move you. So, uh, Michael Jackson. Or the goes. algorithm is going to get you. <laughs> or that. There's that. Or the algorithm is a dancer. <laughs> All right, we're getting a little punchy here. So go to uh, makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. If you like these algorithm jokes that we do every episode, let us know. Makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> if there's anything you want to talk about, want us to talk about specifically, let us know there or any of the social medias in which we just gave you. Um, and yeah, all that stuff will get it done. All right, thanks for listening to, I was going to say watching. You don't watch us, do you? Thanks I for mean, listening. You could. You could. Yeah, I mean, look, thanks, thanks for listening or watching. You could watch your phone the whole time, especially if you have those cool things where, like, the audio makes a little, like, waveform. Then you could watch the waveform the whole podcast. That's fun. Or I think if, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Or, or if you, like, watch our Instagram stories or something, I guess you technically do watch us. So, yeah. Yeah. So watch totally. us and listen thanks, to hey, thanks us. Thanks for and, watching. Yeah, yeah, thanks for watching. <laughs> thanks for yeah, watching. Yeah, and, and, uh, and we will see you next week. Hashtag algorithm puns. Yeah, yeah.